Welcome to Biz Women Rock. Here's what's coming up. The stars at the time were aligned. Everybody seemed to be giving me, you know, a bit of a chance. And I'm not sure sometimes you can, you know, you're so busy convincing yourself, you can convince everybody else as well. And I just didn't see, you know, why it shouldn't happen. Um, what my products were good. I wanted to be in retail. I wanted the bank to support me and I wanted a manufacturer to be a good partner. So why shouldn't they? Episode 216. What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast, your home for amazing, very real stories about phenomenal businesswomen in all sorts of different industries over all sorts of different parts of the world who are here to share the real stories of how they've grown their businesses so that you can take some practical ideas and go implement them in your business. Now, if you're just starting your business, there's an amazing resource that you can tap into. It's called How to Launch Your Brand Online. It is an ebook that I created just for you. If you wanna make sure that your business is represented very well and very effectively in the online space, including on a website, uh, on a blog, on social media, then being able to follow these very simple steps to be able to build up a customer base that is dying for exactly what you got, that's what this book is all about. Go find out more at bizwomenrock.com. Prepare yourself for a phenomenal story. This is an interview with Jules Birch, who founded a company called Works With Water. And I'm calling it a, a generally like a storytelling session because uh, there's actually very few questions asked by me because she ended up kind of launching into these beautiful, very vivid stories about her experience that I know that you're going to love. So um, the very quick description of Works With Water is that it started out as a nutritional drink company, much like vitamin water, and um, and it has had so many different evolutions uh, since then, since 2007 when it started, and it's because of the stories that you're going to hear, because of huge challenges, huge upsets in the market, new things that are, you know, uh, new markets that are opening up that, you know, are opening up doors that she never even thought of. And it's just uh, like I, the whole time in my mind, I just had this vision of like the beautiful metamorphosis, like a butterfly of a of a company, like that's what this is beautiful metamorphosis of a company and an experience. And so a couple of things that we hit on so that you know, as far as, you know, manufacturing, um, how to deal with challenging uh, times in manufacturing, um, how to really get in touch with your client and how to know exactly what they want and how to always be in tune with who's buying, what they want, what their habits are, being clear about why they're buying your product. Uh, So really knowing your clients. And once again, overall, just the whole theme is this beautiful metamorphosis of this business. So you're going to love Jules. She's a phenomenal storyteller. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear it. Let's go. Jules, what is going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Good to talk to you, Katie. I'm really happy that you're here. Coming coming from across the pond in the UK, uh, I always appreciate having... Uh, anyone from the UK on the show, just because I get to listen to a really cool accent. I always love that. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, well, I'm more than your accent, even more than your accent. I'm really excited to have you here because uh, Works with Water is just a cool business and. Uh, a business that you've gone through multiple iterations with, and I'm really excited to get the behind-the-scenes story as to how you've grown the business, what's been happening underneath it, and all the cool strategies that you've used to be able to get this all your products and stuff out there. So what I'd like to start with first is kind of how you came up with this idea. Like, what were you doing right before Works With Water started, and then how did it really, you know, come to be? Well... I- I always say I can't take any credit for deciding to start the company. Somebody decided it for me to a degree. I was, um, I've, I've always worked in the food industry and the pharmaceutical industry and the nutritional industry. So I'm, you know, I've not exactly gone off and done something um, completely off piste, if you like. I haven't thought I'll go and be a, you know, a dressmaker or a own a fashion shop. I've always worked in in the in the same sort of industry, always in manufacturing and and been involved in product development. And I was actually researching um, an ingredient. So I was trying to find an ingredient, and it's way back, you know, back in sort of 2007, 2008, um, an ingredient called stevia, which, of course, everybody yep. talks about now. But at the time, I was looking to find a, a company in the UK that could supply it and uh, give me some information about it. I was searching for it, talked to a few nutritional companies, ingredients companies, was introduced to a company. Um, they came to see me. We chatted. We had a great meeting, ate my mother's gingerbread, cups um, of coffee, and just talked about the industry and the exciting things that were happening, nutrition and ingredients and different ways of using them. And the meeting went sort of three or four hours long. We talked about loads of things, and I had storyboards out of ideas that I had. Um, and then they went away, and um, time went by. A couple of weeks, and they said, "You know, are you going to do something with that?" And I said, "Well, it, you know, it was, it, was, it was for the company I was doing some work for. They're not interested now." Um, and they said, well, "We've been talking about you um, since we met you, and we think you should do something because you've got all these ideas, and we'd love to work with you." Mm. And I just said, "No, no, no, no! I, I don't do this myself. <laughs> I help other people." <laughs> and they said, "No, well, you know, we really think you should because you've got all this enthusiasm, all these ideas. You know, we think." You know, there's something there and we'd love to work with you so I just you know thanks very much really kind of you very you know I'm flattered and about three or four nights of not sleeping going around in my head thinking you know maybe I should because I, I do have all these ideas but where am I going to find the money but I was going in my head well I know you know I know these people I, I knew quite a lot of people in the industry that I could probably go to and I knew a good design agency and I'd work with quite a lot of people but I thought I don't have a lot of money though um, so after a few days I just picked up the phone and said are you serious about you know helping me you realize I can't pay you <laughs> so I'm going to be able to pay you when I use the ingredients and make something and they said yeah we'd love to work with you wow so I blame them <laughs> so it was really so it's their fault you know that I now I never sleep um so that that's how it started um, wow. so I cannot really take credit it was somebody else who said why don't you do it and I'm not sure how often that happens to people I'm guessing it probably happens more than we all realize it do- it absolutely um, does and I'm gonna I'm gonna put the credit back in your lap because you're the one who had to take action on it they could su- suggest all day long but if you wouldn't have stepped up and said <laughs> yep I'm gonna do it you know then then none of this would have been possible yeah. So they, were, um, they, were, they, they, you know, they helped me. The first, you know, it took a long time. It took a good, well, it seemed a long time to me. I'm reliably informed now, and I, and I suppose when I think about it, it wasn't that long, but it was about a year of 
developing the products and, and finding somebody. It's one thing developing them, and you know they work in the labs. Then you've got to find somebody who can take your, your product and scale it up. Right. Mm. Uh, so, so, go so what did you do in the, like your very first product that you had or sort of that first iteration of what you were creating was really mm. a nutritional beverage. Talk a little bit about the process of creating that, just like you were about to go into and some yeah. of the great things that happened, how you got it out into the marketplace, and maybe some of the not so great things that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we started out with really great ingredients, and we were using, um, you know, we were using some soluble fibers. We were using uh, products for calcium absorption benefit, for prebiotic benefit. Uh, for um, they were the they were the core ranges that I started with, and then we then we brought in other used other ingredients for blood pressure uh, maintenance. And for skin benefit, um, and it was just about taking those those pure ingredients and putting them into water. And of course, that sounds like great, great. You know, we we, we use pure spring water and these pure ingredients, which have a, a lot of science behind them and, and really proven benefit. But then, of course, you can't just do that. You have to start adding other ingredients into the process to actually um, fulfil the production requirements. Um, we aren't working in our kitchen just making things up and saying, there we go, I've made it, and, and out to the market. You have to have full-scale production in a septic, uh, in an aseptic filling plant, which was quite hard to find here in the UK. Mm. And I spent a good six or seven months visiting lots of manufacturers all around the UK who all said, oh, we'd love to work with you. But when I was t- talk them through the very specific requirements of of, of our beverage and how we needed to handle the pH requirements and the very specific requirements I had for the natural credentials combined with being able to scale it up to to you know multi 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 bottle production they just shook their head and said well we couldn't do that we're, we're not you know we just don't have the technology um, and I eventually did find a company and at the time I won't say who they are, um, but they were the fourth largest contract soft drinks company in the world. Wow. Um, just about half an hour away from where I live, where you're talking to me now. So I'd spend all this time looking for them. But I'd done the probably typical thing, which is don't go to the really big companies because they'll just turn their back on you. Hmm. You know, they'll think, well, who are you, this little woman, you know, who's, who's got this idea? You know, everybody's got ideas. It'll never be anything. We're not going to switch our machines on for your little idea. We need you to. We need it to be multi-millions straight away. Right. But I was fortunate that I went to see them, and the people I saw, they just said, "What a great idea! We love this." Um, and then that was just the start of my. You know. Wow. Yeah, and and obviously we went into production, and and the 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 retail environment here in the UK is one of the one of the one of the nice retailers to work with is a company called Waitrose, which is a, um, a high-end grocery retailer. And I got a listing with them straight away and then got into the likes of Tesco and Morrisons and, and, um, and Asda and people like that. So very quickly, within the first six months, I was in three major retailers. Um, how did you do that? Like, like, how did you actually make that happen? Um, I was relentless in my pursuit of these buyers, and they're very difficult to get hold of. I think they are buyers of the world over are difficult to get to because they don't want to really talk to you. Um, so it was just I kept battling away. I just kept, you know, emailing them, sending them products, phoning up. Um, and waiters were quite good because they're always quite receptive to new ideas. And if your idea is good, and they think that their customers are going to like it, they will give you a chance. So I was fortunate to get them really quickly. Um, the downside is I went in with a, a range of six products thinking you go in with six and they might order three mm-hmm. out of the six. They'll never order six. 
But if you go in with four, they might order two. If you go in with two, they'll say, you've only got two products in your range. So I went in with six, wanting them to really take two. Okay. <laughs> and they wanted four. Wow. And I sat there thinking, but that means I'm going to, go after, going to have to go into four pr- full production on four <laughs> lines. And there's only one retailer. And I have to commit to X thousand for the first run. Because although this large manufacturer was very supportive and very um they still wouldn't switch on the machines you know for anything less than a fair you know substantial amount of um product for the first run so that was my first big careful what you wish for because when you get it you know and even though I tried to sort of politely tell the buyer don't go for four he said no 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 I want because I have a gap on my shelf for a good women's product a children's product so he knew I'd gone along with a range that would appeal to his market and he took it wow. so then I had to come back and then think what am I going to do now because um, I was a new customer to this manufacturer and as the MD said you realize we won't give you credit because <laughs> I mean mm-hmm. I was credit worthy right. so I had to go to the bank and say you know can I borrow some money and will you give me a loan and um, the bank manager was very supportive and he just said I shouldn't really do this but yeah okay well what, what we'll do is we'll say that you're good for credit so the bank faxed the manufacturer, she's good for credit, even though I wasn't really. I won't say which the bank is, because I'm sure we'd have got sacked for it. So everybody was just, the stars at the time were aligned. Everybody seemed to be giving me, you know, a bit of a chance. And I'm not sure, sometimes you can, you know, you're so busy convincing yourself, you can convince everybody else as well. And I just didn't see, you know, why it shouldn't happen. Um, what my products were good. I wanted to be in retail. I wanted the bank to support me and I wanted a manufacturer to be a good partner. So why shouldn't they? Wow. <laughs> so I had this rather naive sort of circle above my head as though nothing could go wrong um, and how wrong I was. Um, but it all seemed lovely at the time. You know, it was all sort of, yay, you know. And then when we went into production, um, obviously they were switching the machines. They were doing a production run. It was a big run. Um, and um, I, I originally wanted the press to come for the first first production run because it had been great where the bottles roll off the line and the press are there um, but unfortunately they were producing my my beverage in the middle of the night oh, <laughs> so man. no press were going to come at oh, three in the morning man. I know so I went along and I think my husband was away on business at the time so when they were switching they said well we'll we'll give you a ring when we we're just about to uh you know to start processing produ- producing for you and um I went along at you know 2 30 and I went into this huge production area where there was me and three men, because that's all it took. You know, it was a big, big right. aseptic filling plant. And as I walked up these steps to this gantry overlooking all this big, you know, really high-spec line, um, all I could see were big bales of labels <laughs> and big drums of ingredient. And all I could see was money and thought, gosh, I hope this stuff will sell because there's, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds worth of stock on this floor. And I've only got one retailer and there's no way they're going to sell all this. Wow. So it was, a, and when the first bottle came off the line, and they said, I had to, you know, check it for quality and everything else. And then they just, then they all clapped their hands and said, yay, <laughs> you know, congratulations. We got and it, now go sell it. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's nothing like that to, you know, when you've got a warehouse full of products and one retailer, you've suddenly, you know, I was determined to get Tesco, which was, is a big retailer here in the UK and, and Morrison's and, um, I just battered their door down and did everything, you know, I did, I was doing the PR, I was doing everything myself, but I was just determined because you've got to, you know, you've got to sell, you've got to pay money back, you've got to, you've got to clear the stock because it's costing you as it's sitting there. Right. So, um, it's a case of, you know, 
failure, what does that mean? I'm just going to go for it. And, uh, and I was very, I think I was fortunate in the time that the retailers were looking for something in beverage. They were looking for something different. And the vitamin waters, which really started out in the States, were just starting to make a little bit of noise here in the UK, but they had to actually come across. Mm. Um, so it wasn't a familiar concept, really, but the, the, the beverage, the soft drinks buyers, of which water, the water category is, is, you know, is part of, they were sort of saying, well, we've got plain waters, we've got sparkling water, we've got flavoured waters. It's a bit boring. So I went, I came along at just the right time with something new and innovative, bringing that nutrition and water together. And it's compelling, you know, you know, it's a lovely, it's a lovely blend of, you know, everything you want in life, you know, water, you need it to sustain life. Right. And then really great ingredients and what better way than to, you know, to deliver it in a beverage. So, so what, what, what were some of the ways that you were actually like getting the product sold? I mean, I know that you ended up lining up three different retailers. Was that was that all it took to really get things going? Or what were, <laughs> I, I know I'm laughing at myself at, for asking that question, but like, what else were you doing to make sure that people knew about knew about the product and they were going to buy it and that they could go and buy it in all these different places? Well, uh, I handled the PR, so I was uh, I was sending out press releases. I was sending out samples. I was out there to the journalists, uh, you know. And we have newspapers here. It was, and this was, don't forget, this was really before the sort of the sort of social media had really taken off. It was um, it was more the traditional print press that was that was um, our opportunity to, to you know to get a message across and. Um, and the journalists and editors always were wanting to find um, people that would try the product and would have a story. Um, so we were very fortunate that people would be trying the, using the product and then emailing me and sometimes writing to me traditionally, you know, old, the old-fashioned pen and paper, right. saying, I've been buying this product for my son, my daughter, for my husband, for myself. It's great. I'm loving it. And often they were writing to me because they were saying, I've read about it, or I've started buying it, but I can only buy it in my local Tesco's, and they only have so many bottles on shelf, and you know, and it's not so easy for me to go to that retailer. Could you not start selling it to this retailer because they're closer to me? <laughs> um, and people weren't going and just buying one bottle at a time. They were buying five or six bottles at a time because they were drinking them every day for their daily dose. Right. So what we started to do was really dialogue with people and they you know that first christmas i was getting christmas cards from women women generally saying you know thanks so much for the product and happy christmas and it was really nice and i have a girl working with me diane who's with me from the very beginning and she's very good at um i can't answer every single email and uh, i try you know but she's very good at communicating with people and she says I, I email these people you know every week and we communicate and so i think before there was the social media platforms to really exploit or to use as a great tool to communicate, we were sort of doing it in our own very personal way, right. responding by, you know, when people wrote to me by hand, I thought, oh, I've, got to, I've got to type a letter and send it to them. And, um, but, you know, if people have taken the time to do that, and, and because some of our products were for a, the, the slightly older market where people wanted to write and wanted to phone you and talk to you, um, they didn't want to, they weren't, they didn't want to buy online. They didn't want to talk to you online. They wanted to. They wanted to do the old-fashioned way. We had to the courtesy of responding. Otherwise, we were just going to ignore them. So the press were very good. Uh, again, the press in the UK like a good story. They like to talk about products, and because I would go and talk to them, and then they would say, "Well, we'd like to." Like I'm talking to you now, they would say, "We'd like to do a feature on you. We'd like to talk about your business." 
Um, or who have you got that's trying your product that we can talk to? Right. So it became, you know, we were doing that in a very sort of um, hands-on way and a quite a labor-intensive way. But there is, to me, there is nothing better than other people talking. The people that use your products, they're far better to talk about it than I'm obviously going to wax lyrical because it's my life. It's my, I live and breathe it. I do nothing else, um, you know, to the detriment of my husband, you know, probably much <laughs> a lot different. But... I'm obviously going to talk very pop uh, positively about my products, but it's much better if somebody else talks about them. Um, I much prefer it. I love it when um, you know when people say this product really works, and it's it's the best feeling in the world. Right. And I defy anybody to say that. And it, it's still you know it's very very personal to me. Every every complaint if people say I don't like the flavour when we were flavoured when we used to put flavouring in our water, people say I don't I'm getting bored of that flavour. I think oh you know we need to come up with another flavouring that you know is going to be appealed to people. That was a negative that I wanted to turn around and think yeah I'm sure you're getting fed up of it because you're drinking it every day. I get bored of the same flavour every day. Right, right. So yeah, that's that's how we that's how we grew. It was really talking talking to our customers in the old fashioned way. And then sharing that with the journalists and doing doing it the old-fashioned way with the journalists, which isn't quite so easy now. I've, I'm meeting journalists next week, and it's not so easy to get to see them because they're under pressure. Um, it seemed it did seem easier in the back in the day, you know, five six years ago, when you could ring them up and can say, "I'm coming into London. Can we meet for coffee?" And it was quite relaxed. Right. It isn't quite the same now. It's much more formal. Um, so when so I'm curious because you're kind of in your second iteration of your company, you ended up moving from, you know, this this beautiful nutritional water beverage to yeah. now food supplements. Why did yeah. you do that? What why did you make that move? Well, going back to uh, finding this, you know, company half an hour away from where I lived after my six, seven, eight month search and thinking, Great, you know, this company who really big, got all the technology, um, they'd actually been taken over the company I initially started to talk to had actually been taken over by a very big by the big conglomerate I mentioned, and they had problems with the production uh, facility that they were running. They were running it a little bit like an old-fashioned bottling line when they should have been using more pharmaceutical techniques um, because of the technicalities of uh, aseptic filling means that you don't use preservatives um, without getting too technical because it would be boring for everybody to hear it. Um, but the very nature, if you're not putting preservatives in there, you have to preserve the product. So you have to preserve the integrity of the product uh, in order for it to have a good shelf life. So we were, by, you know, sort of a year, just short of a year of, of launching, we had six products. Um, we were just launching another one. And um, suddenly the, 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 this production run that we were expecting to get, you know, X. Thousand bottles off. I don't know. So it was something like two hundred thousand bottles on the first run. Uh, we got fifty thousand. Oh, of course. Tesco and Morrison just said, "Well, that's not enough because we were expecting, you know, seventy thousand, whatever it was. Can't remember now. It seems so long ago. And because by this time I'd got to know the buyers really well. Um, and um, and I said, "Well, why? Why is the yield so low? What, what's you know what's happened?" And I, I wasn't getting anywhere. I wasn't really getting any response. I was getting a lot of sort of fudging. And it was actually the buyer from one of the supermarkets phoned me up and she said, because they used them for their own label, she said, you do realize they've got some major production problems and that's why you haven't got all your product out, you know, your first production run as it should have been. Wow. But she said, we're going in um, because, you know, they were a big retailer. And she said, we've got access because they're producing for us under contract. 
I'll find out what's going on. And uh, to cut a long story short, they had major microbial issues in the plants. Oh, we no. weren't affected directly, but we were affected because our products were produced in that area. So they completely stopped, shut the plant down, recalled all the product that had been produced uh, in, the, in, the, in the previous three months. So, of course, all our products were caught up in that. Um, when, you, when you withdraw product from retailers, they charge you. So we were hit by 70 grand bill here, oh. 20,000 pound bill there, and no product. Right. It, co it coincided with the launch of our blood pressure loan product, <laughs> of all things. And we, we got <laughs> terrific press, really terrific press. And, and by that, I, it wasn't that we were getting full pages or anything, but journalists were writing about it and writing you know, in their health pages, three, three lines long. And people were going mad for this product. They were ringing up the retailers saying, I've read about this product. You know, when are we going to get it? Where is it? When can I buy it? So they were ringing me up saying, where's this product coming in? Our customer services are going mad wanting this product. And I just sat with my head in my hands thinking, what am I going to do? But, you know, at the time, my, my then investor, they said, well, they're a big organization. They're bound to sort themselves out really quickly. So I thought, yeah, they will, won't they? You know, they're massive. They're going to solve it in a couple of weeks. Six months later, still oh. haven't sorted it. No way. No, no. Holy it, cow. Exactly, yeah. And, and, and of course, it wasn't, we didn't go from zero to six months and we just sort of sat here thinking, oh, it's another, you know, six months. Each week, we thought they were making progress. And the retailers said, well, keep your shelf space open because your product, your products are so good that when they come in, they go off the shelf. So we'll keep the space for you, which is unheard of. Wow. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't fill it because I couldn't get anything made. Right. And of course, I, ha I then went back to the drawing board and thought, well, who can I talk to in the UK to make for me? Well, a year earlier, I hadn't found anybody. So I looked, it was the same people I would have gone out to who still couldn't help me. So then I had to start looking at Europe to see who could produce for me in Europe. But the cost of shipping water all the way from Europe into the UK, plus the cost of all the technicalities of our ingredients and our production, it would have made, we'd have had to charge twice as much for our beverage wow. to you know, just make any money. Um, so after six months, I just realized they weren't going to solve the problem and we couldn't carry on. Then the retailer said, look, we can't keep the shelf space open for you any longer, which I understood. So I had to really think about, well, what am I going to do now? Because this, this could be the end. And my investor were looking at me saying, well, you know, have you thought of something? <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, I have. And what I, what I realized was talking to customers, because, of course, customers were contacting us all the time. Right. Where can, where's the product? It's gone. And, of course, you don't want to tell them there's massive problems, but you've got to be open and say, look, we've had a big problem with production. We're doing our very best. But then I, in talking to them, we thought, because well, this is the only way you're going to learn anything, talk to the people that buy your product. And we realized people weren't buying it because it was a beverage. They were buying it for the benefit. And it just so happened that they liked the fact it was a beverage. But they were buying it for the prebiotic benefit, the calcium benefit, the fiber benefit, the blood pressure loading benefit, because we did actually get it out, even though it had to come back again, mm -hmm. um, and the beauty benefit, the skin benefit. So we thought, well, let's, okay, let's just take our ingredients out of the water and allow our customers to add our formulations to their own be beverage of choice, be it tea, coffee, juice, water, you name it, as long as it's, it can go into soup, it can go into anything. So we talked to, to a few customers and, and sort of said, you know, what do you think? And, and what I realized was if we do this, we take greater control over production. Right. Our eggs aren't back in some, because all the time you think, what happens if this happens again? Um, you know, if you're producing yourself, you're, you're okay. 
um, you've got control. And if it goes wrong, you'll find your own solutions. If somebody is contract manufacturing for you, you're always in their hands. Right. Um, so it, by no means is it easy, but it meant that we could have greater control over production. And it meant that if there was a problem with any partners, we could soon find a solution and we haven't had a problem. But it meant rebranding, reformulating, repackaging, and then going out to a whole new set of buyers because you don't talk to the beverage buyers, you talk into the health and beauty buyers. Right. So I had to start all over again. Man. And I was just very fortunate. Um, <laughs> fortunate on the one hand that the, the day that I signed the deal with my investor or the week I signed was the week that we started with the production problem. So on the one hand, I suddenly <laughs> had an investor that was opening their purse for me. And on another, I was having to say to them, actually, just before I signed, I said, you realize we've just we, we're experienced some, some production problems. I have to tell you. And they just said, oh, don't worry. We know you'll solve it. So, well, <laughs> fair enough, you know. So I wisely signed. Um, so I was very fortunate that those six months where we couldn't have any product that you know they were there supporting me and allowing me to to redevelop the business and restructure it and um so it, it really became a way of just giving back to our customers what they were wanting so it was never quite the same because people loved the water i think it, it people we're all quite lazy i think in many ways we don't want to be mixing and stirring and it's much nicer if somebody's done all that for us right but um but it does allow people flexibility um so that's what we've done. And of course, it suddenly uh, allowed us to, a little bit later on, start thinking about, well, if we want to sell to people outside of the UK and sell online, there's not heavy bottles, there's little tiny boxes. So in a way, it, it, it took us away from how we'd started, but um, it opened up new opportunities. Jules, I got to ask you, like, because one thing that keeps rushing through my mind is how... How did you deal with all of that chaos? Like, you know, because it's, it's so life-changing and dramatic when you're in the middle of that hurricane and so many things are going wrong. How did you personally handle all of that? Like, what, what did you do that allowed you to really get through it? Um, gosh. I think I just couldn't countenance it failing. So... I just, it, it wasn't blind faith because I didn't really have faith the wrong thing. It was more a, I've got, well, one, I felt an obligation. I felt an obligation to my investor. So once you start thinking about all well, those other people here, it's, you know, obligation to my husband because I'm not the easiest women to live with. Um, <laughs> I'm quite selfish. I'm quite self-obsessed. You know, my mum, because um, obviously we were called Works With Water, so WWW, and my mum said to me quite a few years ago, if you don't have WWW in front of your name, you're not interested. <laughs> I can be quite self-assessed, you know. Um, nothing really matters apart from works with water um, to the point of I expect everybody else to feel the same way. So I think when you have that, I suppose, single-mindedness, bullheadedness, just the, 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 the sheer thought of failing was just, I, I just couldn't countenance it. Failure for myself. Right. Um, failure, I, and I also remember going to a, a, a I'm not saying that this was a driving thing, but it probably was in the back of my mind. I w was invited to speak at an event, and it was uh, when I first launched the business, and it was a big uh, beverage event, and the, all the big beverage companies were there from all around the world, the Nestle's, the Coca-Cola's, you name it, mm -hmm. and I spoke up. And I think my opening sentence was, you know, I'm the only person in this room I've never heard of, because, you know, they were all the industry greats. And I thought, what on earth am I doing here? I'm this little tiddler, you know, with my... But 
Um, and afterwards, it was very well received. People were, you know, very charming, and people come. They asked me some great questions, and they were very, very complimentary. So when these big companies come to you, you think this is great. You know, it's, it's lovely. Um, but there was one gentleman, um, and I forget, I don't know where he was from, but um, he was uh, he was very scathing about what I was doing. And so in the back of your mind, I think, oh, you know, I don't want to prove that person right, you know, that it's never going to work. So, um, so I think that was, yeah, just sheer sense of not wanting to let myself down, let the people down who worked with me, supported me, you know, my family, my investor. Um, you think, well, no, there's always a solution to a problem. There might, there might not be the prettiest of solutions. Right. So it's just being a bit pig-headed I suppose <laughs> yeah. I'm not to fail do a quick little description about where you are now because even even that story is different than where you are right now in this moment so talk a little bit about <laughs> what you're producing right now and what the company has really evolved into now yeah well we we obviously we when we rebranded and redeveloped the products into the soluble supplements um that that got us over that sort of hump of getting away from beverage and starting again and delivering to our customers you know, the benefits that they were clearly looking for in a natural way. Um, and then there are some ingredients that you that I love. You know, I, I hear about them and I talk to my ingredients partner and say, I really love that ingredient. It's got, and they say, yeah, it's got some terrific science behind it, proven benefit. You can make the claim. You can you can deliver the benefit. However, it won't work as a soluble supplement. Because not every ingredient is soluble. Oh, you can always mm. make it soluble. So then you've got to think, well, how? You know, what do we do? I want to use this terrific ingredient. I really want to use it. What do we do? And that's how we start, really. We start with the ingredient and then think of the vehicle. So that's when we started looking at um, the ready-to-eat gel, which we're launching next week. Um, and then we are going to go back into beverage later on this year. So I'm in the early stage development of that. Not in the same way, because times have changed uh, technology's moved on, delivery's moved on, ingredients have changed um, in terms of there's some really interesting uh, ingredients that have got terrific uh, claims, um, good science behind them um, that meet a need that, that, that people are you know, requiring. Um, so that will, but it's not going to be easy and it's, it's, it's going to be as challenging as it, as it was the first time around really because we're looking to deliver something unique and when you're unique, that means you're generally first. So when you're first, you're breaking new ground, which means you've got to find people that you can trust and they believe in you and they can deliver what you're trying to achieve. So there's a mountain to climb, but we can do it. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, when I relaunched and went back out to retail, the, uh, we all know about the global recession and um, we were caught up in all that and it's not been an easy time and of course the the more that the retailers feel the squeeze on the high street who do they squeeze they squeeze the suppliers right um when they're doing all their deep discounts they're not funding it the poor old suppliers funding it so we got into back into the retailers again back into like people like boots and things like that but the cost of supplying these people was going up and up and up their margins were getting their margin requirements were increasing their funding requirements were enormous their payment terms were extending. <laughs> so in the end, you sort of think, I may as well just give you this product for nothing because, you know, by the time I get the money. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then in the middle of that, and we were never an online business. We, we had a little bit of an online on the back of our website, but we were never an online business. We were the traditional, you know, inter-retail, which is the world I was familiar with and mm-hmm. felt comfortable with. But we suddenly had a huge influx of people 
from Chinese people buying our product. Um, to the to the point where it was it was a really weird experience. I was actually in London meeting my 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 ingredients company, and I popped out of the tube. So I'd been underground for 15, 20 minutes. And as I emerged from the tube station, my BlackBerry, because it was, it, was, it was a couple of years ago, my BlackBerry started to go mad with all these emails from everybody in the company emailing each other, all talking about Chinese. And I thought, what on earth? What on earth are they talking about? And um, it was Diane who works for me, who she monitors the back end of the website. And suddenly she saw all these Chinese names and all these orders from these these Chinese names that we've never been familiar with. Wow. So she thought she thought something something like a scam or something or other. So she checked with accounts and they said, nope, they're all bona fide orders. Wow. All through on the credit cards. Um, everybody was sort of hysterical, really. They were talking to the warehouse. And, of course, the warehouse was saying, well, we've got all these pallets to go out to Boots, but if we send the pallets out to Boots, what do we do about these orders that are coming in? They were coming in every second. Wow. And we never experienced, you know, we were, we were selling absolutely nothing online because we weren't, we didn't really know what we were doing, you know. Um, and it was just there, really, for those people that didn't have a, there's parts of the UK which are quite remote. And um, you might live in the Orkney Islands and, you know, you want to buy the product, but you've got to go to the mainland to buy it. So people were asking, you know, where can I buy it locally? And we knew there was nowhere close to them. So we thought we'd set up a little online, you know, shop on the back of our website. So mm -hmm. it was just a tiddly little thing. When this happened... It, was, it just blew us away. Um, and when we discovered where it had come from, um, we'd actually, it was actually a Chinese person had tried the product. It had worked really well. This was our skin product for, for acne. Mm -hmm. It worked really well. And they just posted up on, on, on Weibo um, a little post, just how good it was, with a link to our site. But we didn't know what it was. And, of course, it was in Chinese. So that, you know, when we discovered where all this interest, all these orders had been generated from... I, you know, shot home and, <laughs> and we worked out what it was saying, which was very little. But it's, it suddenly showed us the power of when you reach an audience that you're not actually thinking about. Because we're a UK company selling to people in the UK who we just think are British people. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where we live. That's what we tend to think it is. And suddenly all these Chinese students who are over here in the UK studying, who... Um, had heard from one of their peers that this product works, they went absolutely mad buying it, and we just couldn't believe it. So suddenly, you're looking at your balance sheet, you're looking at your profit and loss, and thinking, well, just a minute, we've sold more in a month yep. than we sell to Boots. Yep. To any of these independent retailers, we've got paid cash up front, because obviously, you know, they place the order, we get the money's in our account the next day. We, 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 we're taking all the margin, we're not sharing it with the retailer, um, we know who they are, so we can talk to them. <laughs> yeah. We don't know Boots' customers. The Boots customers, we've no idea who they are unless they talk to us. So suddenly I thought, this is, this is something we need to really look at because it was getting harder and harder selling to the... You know, it, was, it was getting harder in the sense that they were wanting more and you can't keep giving. Um, so that's when I said, I think we really need to reconsider. The, 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 the marketplace is changing. The landscape's changing. We need to change with it. And, of course, my investor said, well, we keep changing, we keep changing. I said, well, that's life. You know, you can't keep standing still and yeah, you can't yeah. keep saying, well, this is the way we're going to do it and we're not changing. If, if the world around you is changing, you've got to adapt accordingly. So, you know, after a quarter of trading and you think, well, just a minute, this, this, you know, this, is, this is clearly an area we need to explore. But, of course, we needed to completely change the business, the business model, uh, and I said, I think the first thing we do is you know, say to the retailers, we're not going to supply them to the terms that 
they want. Right. And I said, and then they'll just delist us because that's what they'll do. And my investor didn't agree with me. So I just said, well, I'm, you know, I think if we don't, it's going to be a, you know, a difficult time for us and we're probably not going to, um, not going to survive because it's a harsh place out there. And I don't think we've got, any of us have got an appetite for a couple, you know, a couple of years of pumping money in just to keep the retailers happy. Right. We've got to be keeping ourselves happy, keeping our customers happy. So that's when we you know, decided to part company and, um, and I've now got a new investor. Very nice. Yeah. So that wasn't an easy thing to do, really. You know, two quite difficult things. One, telling an investor that, you know, essentially it was a little bit, I'm taking my ball home. I'm not sure if that's an expression you're familiar with, but it's, um, you know, um, I'm not playing anymore. Right, <laughs> right. I don't want to do this anymore. I think it's to change things. And they, Over here we call that see ya. Well, <laughs> see ya. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a bit better than taking your ball home, but yeah, I took my ball home. And it was fine. I mean, it was, it was it was without acrimony, but um, but obviously it was it was a tough decision to make, and it was also a tough decision to to say to the retailers, "We're not." We, I didn't say we're not supplying you ever again. I just said we can't supply you under the terms that we have been doing, and that everybody I talked to in the industry said, "Crikey, that's a brave thing to do." Um, but and it, in a way, you, but know, it's you work well so hard you? to get these but it's accounts. Proven well for you. Sorry. It's proven well for you. Did like, it, like how how has that decision really yes, impacted? Yes, it, was, it, it was the right decision. It, it, it was the right decision because it gave us time to, you know, we, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. Just because they say to you, "Well, all right, we don't, we're not happy with you exiting, but fine," it takes you a few months to do it. Right. Um, and then I knew then I had to completely restructure everything. So again, you know, again, it's another metamorphosis, if you like. You. Uh, you don't, you can't stand still, um, and it's been about developing our business. And in all this time, um, from from the very beginning, I'd always had a lot of export inquiries, but I've always thought unless you really know what you're doing, you're just you you end you end your end up with your days chasing, you know, these export interests, not really understanding the market, not really understanding who these companies are, being a, a busy idiot. And six months down the line, you've just wasted your time. So stick with what you know. But we'd always, always had lots of export inquiries. And I used to make it really hard for these companies in a way, because I used to ask them all these questions and, and really put all these barriers in their way. And I thought, well, if they, if they overcome them with me, then they must be really quite serious, so they're worth talking to. Um, but I, I didn't really have an appetite for it, because I, you know, I, I, I felt unsure um, Interest is one thing, but converting it into something viable is another. And I didn't really want to spend my days running around the globe because that's not productive. <clears throat> but right. it coincided with you know this decision to you know to, to focus on online as opposed to the traditional bricks and mortar retail, um, and then these export inquiries, and then particularly this huge interest from the Chinese. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, that was probably the biggest thing that made me realise well we're. We aren't really selling to these Chinese. They're buying these Chinese people. They're buying from us. How do we sell to them? We don't speak Chinese. <laughs> we don't. Um, we don't go onto their social media. Part. We don't really understand them. They're buying our products quite differently to anybody in the UK who, who is from these shores would. Um, I think the Chinese culture is. They're very into health, um, and have been for thousands of years. They think about what you eat is what you are. Right. Um, um, whereas I think in the West, in, particularly in the UK, we wait until we've got a problem, and then try and find a solution. <laughs> so, you know, we wait until we've got a, you know a face full of spots, and then think, I think I want to find a solution. 
the Chinese, a lot of the young Chinese people that are buying a product have good skin, but they don't want to have bad skin. So they're buying it for preventative reasons as opposed to curative reasons. So it's a completely different, and they're buying it because of the skin lightening benefits. So the psyche and the understanding of a whole market who are buying, and you don't really understand why they're buying. So we've spent the last two years researching and, and trying to understand this market and just seeing if there's longevity in the interest because there can be a spike of interest and it can go nowhere, but it's continued. And we're just signing now an agreement with a company where we can actually get our products into the hands of people in mainland China, which wow. has been a long process. And it's not easy with products like ours, a lot of barriers. Um, but what we found were, was that these young Chinese students are studying here in the UK but when they went back home to China, they couldn't buy from our website because of the Chinese firewall and currency and lots of barriers and customs. And so we were losing them. You know, we had them and then we lost them. So we thought, how do we bridge the gap between where we are and where they are? Culturally, language, geography, uh, currency. It's a whole minefield. So it's taken us two years. Um, and of course, it, I'm talking about Chinese who are in China, but we have a lot of people who are Chinese who are living in the States. So we're actually selling to a lot of people in the States as well, which is interesting. So we've, what we tend to find is, rather than thinking, is there a market we'd like to be in and let's go and, and, and explore it, in a way, my thinking is, is it not better, and I, it, maybe it's a, it's a naive way, but if there's a, a clear interest from a, a group of people, either geographical or cultural, who are showing interest in buying, that's the time then to say, well, if, if the few of you are buying, i.e. a few thousand of you are buying, it's worth exploring how we can reach more of you yep. in your own home, in yep. your home, rather than relying on the ones here in the UK. So that's what we're doing. So it's, it's an exciting time. And now I'm fully embracing the whole export. I now realize um, if, you are, if that's what you're setting your stall out to do, that's what you do. If you're trying to be all things to all people as a small company, you just stretch yourself and, and failure is bound to happen. Whereas, um, I'm not saying we're not going to go back into re UK retail because I think the, the market's changing and I think it's, there's a time for us to go back and we're probably going to do that the end of the year, beginning of next. Um, but I am going to need more people to help me and I can't do all this on my own again. I'm a few years older and um, whilst, I, whilst I'm still quite bouncy and still quite full of um, lots of energy, um, I am a little bit older and don't feel quite so... Uh, I don't think I can juggle all the plates and spin all the balls um, quite as well as I used to. Right. <laughs> I think reality's kicked in a little bit and <laughs> maybe um, I don't have that naive view quite as much as I did. But I'm still as determined as ever and I'll still battle my way with the retailers. But, well, and that's, I think because they could see success. Yeah. And that's fairly yeah. obvious throughout this entire, entire conversation. I mean, the <laughs> amount of energy... And you might think that you're slowing down, but the amount of energy you still have and drive that you still have to make things happen is incredible. So Jules, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show and for for sharing such beautiful stories about what all the different evolutions that your company has gone through. I think it's absolutely fascinating. So thank you so much for sharing. You're very welcome. Thank you, Katie. Just such a moving story. Man, I was so impressed uh, at Jules and her whole experience and just the reason that I didn't end up asking so many questions because it, she naturally went into everything I was about to ask. So uh, so it was just a really beautifully told story and I was so appreciative that she was so open with 
um, you know, kind of how the how down the down moments were and how many mistakes were made and how things kind of blew up in her face and how she dealt with all of that stuff. I mean, that's what this show is really about, being so transparent and very real about what business is and not just those beautiful success stories that you see from the outside. But obviously, Jules has had a lot of success and uh, man, I, I see why. I mean, she's just got the drive and she just has the hunger. So really, really appreciate her for that. Um, what did you get out of it? D- what did you like about the story? What really resonated with you? I would love to know. Make sure you go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 216 and just write a comment and let me know. Or you can always email me, katie at bizwomenrock.com. Just let me know. All right. Have an awesome day and I'll see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.